Shalom Aleichem, welcome to the Schmooze. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Annette Liebeskin Berkowitz, the author of two acclaimed memoirs, In the Unlikeliest of Places, How Nachum Liebeskind Survived the Nazis, Gulags, and Soviet Communism, a story of her father's survival, and Confessions of an Accidental Zoo Curator. She has also penned a poetry book, Erythra Talasa, Brain Disrupted, and her recently published The Corset Maker is her first novel. Welcome. Delighted to have you join me to talk about your latest work, The Corset Maker. Pleasure to be with you, Lisa. Um, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. So the book, The Corset Maker, um, as you've written, was inspired by your mother and several of her friends who you've described as all women of courage and determination. Can you speak about these women and how you wrote their characters into the book and, and maybe a little bit more broadly about what drew you to write the novel and to tell the story? Okay, I'd be happy to talk about it. Well, it's, it starts with my mother, uh, Dora Liebeskind, Dora Blaustein Liebeskind, uh, who is the real corset maker behind the novel. Uh, my mother was the main driver and inspiration for this book. Uh, but she um, grew up in an atmosphere of um, a lot of political turmoil in pre-war Warsaw in, in the 30s. She was exposed to a lot of political ideas and she met, she had close friends, other women who were beginning to challenge the traditional roles of women. And my mother, uh, at the age of 17, had the, the courage and the gumption, really, to say, I am not going to spend my life having babies uh, and staying at home. I want to have a larger world. I want to be in charge of my own fate. So she opened her own corset shop. She had been learning how to sew corsets and brassieres from her mother. Uh, so the trade had been in the family for a long time, but ever since she was a little girl, she knew how to sew. So when she was 17, she recruited her best friend uh, and they opened a store on what was uh, then and probably still now in uh, Main Street in Warsaw, uh, Marszałkowska. It was a very elegant street. So these two young women opening a business it was, it was unheard of at the time, really. And they were very successful. So that was uh, the first sort of instance of, of courage and rebellion uh, that I understood my mother to have. But later on, my mother's story digresses uh, from the novel uh, because my mother uh, escaped to the Soviet Union when uh, World War II broke out, she was one of the handful of Jews who escaped uh, to the Soviet Union and who were promptly arrested because they were not eager to accept Soviet citizenship. Uh, so they were sentenced uh, to hard labor and gulags. My mother was sent to Siberia uh, where she experienced a terrible deprivation and illnesses and just a horrible time, but she survived it with the help of another friend, Raquela, who was also a young woman from Warsaw. 
Uh, so Raquel is another inspirational character because my mother told me a lot about her and she has been woven into the novel. Uh, then what, what about the rest? What about the other women? Well, one of my mother's very close uh, school friends from Warsaw ended up being a volunteer for the International Brigades for the Spanish Civil War. And I had the good fortune to meet her as soon as we arrived in, in the United States. I was 16 when we came and I knew nothing about America, no English. And my very first Thanksgiving was spent with my mother's friend, Ruth. And that's where I learned about her participation in the Spanish Civil War. I was, I was totally amazed and inspired. And I also met her Spaniard husband, whom she brought uh, uh, from Spain. Uh, so so that, that, was, that was another woman. Uh, so it was my mother's business partner, her girlfriend from a very early youth. It was Raquel who helped my mother survive in the Soviet gulag. And it was my mother's friend, Ruth. These were very, very courageous women. There were women ahead of their time. You know, we talk about women's liberation now, but women's liberation didn't start today. Uh, so. <laughs> so true. So true. And that, and um, it's interesting, this, um, our conversation today is very much aligned with the Yiddish Book Center's Decade of Discovery, which is an initiative of the center. And each year we pick a theme and this year's theme is women in Yiddish. Um, so I think it, it, it really speaks to, as you say, the resilience and these amazing stories of women. And which leads me to, to ask you, so the book takes place or it takes us as readers from Warsaw in the 30s to France to Palestine. And it puts the reader sort of in the center of major world events. Um, the women in the historical fiction were straddling, as I saw it, two worlds, as it were, you, which you've sort of alluded to, I think, um, in terms of their Jewish identity, both at home in terms of expectations, limitations, and tradition, and in the wider world in terms of the beginnings of World War II. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about what I see as this sort of intersection between the women and the Jewish tradition and, and their identity and how that also um, intersected with what was going on in the world in terms of their Jewish identity. Yes, I will speak to that very happily, except I'm gonna try very hard to avoid spoilers. Because okay. the story is such that there are some mysteries and surprises as the reader encounters. So I don't want to give those away. But I'll start by saying this. My protagonist modeled very much after my mother. I, I called my protagonist Rivka Berg. Rivka comes from an Orthodox home in, in Warsaw. Uh, so she... Um, She's not happy with uh, the role of women as she perceives it in her ultra-Orthodox home. She does not uh, like the idea of an arranged marriage. The idea actually horrifies her, which, which is why it propels her to, to look at the wider world. And uh, th there's a part of the story where the, uh, Rivka Berg ends up in Palestine, pre-Israel Palestine, uh, where she goes to 
seek her sister, who was part of the Halutzim movement. Uh, and uh, this really parallels closely my mother's history, because my mother had two sisters who emigrated to Palestine and were uh, one of the settlers, Jewish settlers in Palestine. And from there, uh, my mother's story and, and, and Rivka's story diverge. Uh, but um, through a series of circumstances, which uh, I don't really want to reveal, uh, Rivka Berg ends up in Spain. And uh, she learns early on in school uh, about uh, pacifism. Uh, she reads uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, and she becomes disgusted with the whole notion of war and there she finds herself in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, so what does she do? She, she is averse to, to blood and to fighting, but this is where her Jewish neshama comes in. She wants to repair the world. So uh, what does she do? She begins uh, working in an orphanage in a monastery. And she is a bit horrified that how far she has come away from her uh, Orthodox Jewish home to be working in a Christian monastery. But what motivates her to do it is to help uh, the orphan children. Uh, and, and so this is where, where her Jewish upbringing is, is, is very much a part of it. And even though as the history really takes Rivka Berg uh, right through her 80th birthday, and we see throughout, even after the war, that she retains the essence of her Jewishness, the caring about the world, repairing tikkun olam is very much a part of it, um, treating humans the way you want to be treated. Uh, it, it actually, readers could see it right in the prologue. And I really want to say a, a, a little footnote here about my prologue. When I, when I was writing the novel, my husband, who is my first uh, audience and critic, said, do not call your prologue a prologue, call it chapter one, because people skip prologues. And I said, nobody skips prologues. And then I spoke to a, a, a friend of mine who said, oh, I always skip them. And I was horrified. But I wanted to have a prologue because I really liked the the symmetry between the prologue and the epilogue, which, which I hope readers will see in my book. And the prologue really shows how Rivka Burke sees the world. What, what is her view of the world? And later on in life, uh, she lights the Sabbath candles. She, she observes the Sabbath, even though she thought she had abandoned her religious Jewish traditions, but she observed the Sabbath uh, and, um, and really, uh, honors it greatly, which is really interesting uh, uh, snapback to my mother, who uh, really, uh, she was basically an atheist, but extremely Jewish. Uh, she spoke uh, Yiddish at home with my father. That was their primary language. This is how I learned Yiddish. Not that I was taught Yiddish, I just absorbed it by listening to it. But when we were in Poland, in communist post-war Poland, uh, couldn't really freely observe uh, 
Jewish uh, holidays and practices. But it wasn't until much later that I realized that the candles that my mother lit on Fridays and the special meal that we had on Fridays, that it was really her observance of her family traditions, that, that they were not abandoned. And what she thirsted for more than anything, anything else when we finally managed to get out of Poland and go to Israel is to meet her youngest brother, who was a Haredi Jew, Orthodox, um, in touch with his family in Bnei Barak. So those ties stay, you know, they stay with you for life. I have to confess that I'm one of those people who sometimes reads a prologue and sometimes doesn't. But I immediately read yours. Um, and I love it because it just um, it establishes a character um, in a way that just makes the reading that much more sort of exciting to see how we got to where we are um, or where where she was. Thank you. Um, yeah, I um you know, I, this is, this draws so much from your family history, um, from women that you knew or knew of personally. How challenging is that as a writer to write their stories or to borrow from their stories to write the larger story? Well, uh, it's a good question. And this, it, it goes back to uh, what some people have asked me, just, well, why didn't you write a memoir? Uh, and I didn't write a memoir because I didn't have enough to, 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 to write a memoir. It, it would not be an honest memoir because you, you, need, you need much more than I had. For example, when I wrote my first memoir in The Unlikeliest of Places, My Father's History of Survival, I was so fortunate because he narrated a set of tapes about his life, all the details things that happened to him. He narrated it twice, once in Yiddish and once in English. Uh, so, uh, but I didn't have that with my mother. I had little scraps and my mother was a basically introverted person. And I think she became more introverted after she learned of all the family she lost in Poland. You know, she escaped, but the rest of her family didn't. So uh, she lost uh, her mother and four sisters and countless aunts and uncles. And, and she was very deeply depressed and she was always introverted. So it was hard to get a lot out of her. So I felt I will use what inspires me about her and, and write it into a novel. And I tried very hard um, not to put my mother on such a high pedestal that my protagonist would be unbelievable. That was, that was the hardest part, really. <laughs> it's so interesting. I, I found the novel really great in terms of its being a window into the strength of these girls beginning at a very young age. Um, and then, you know, sort of traveling along with them as they became women. Through this, I learned, you know, a history and I think it's inspiring in terms of how we find paths to opportunities, as it were, um, how we place ourselves in the world. Again, how we draw from that reservoir of Jewish tradition, as you've mentioned earlier. I'm curious to ask you, as the novel evolved for you, was it the story you set out to tell or did it change in unexpected ways as you wrote it? 
the I I think the ending the 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 part uh, post war is unexpected because I find uh, found myself thinking about well if my mother hadn't gone through the gulags. Uh, if, if she had had a different path during World War II, what might become of her? And uh, what, what becomes of, of uh, Rivka uh, in post-war Paris is what, I, is what I wished for my mother. So, so that was unexpected. That was sort of like a, a, a gust of imagination. <laughs> Um, Lynette, I don't want to ask you many more questions about the book because I really want to encourage readers to and listeners to go out and get a copy of The Corset Maker. It is an incredibly wonderful read, beautifully written, beautifully told with characters that you you really want to follow. Um, it's a great story. Um, and before I let you go, um, are you at work on yet another book? Thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh, I'll say two things. One is that if, 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 if your listeners read The Corset Maker and then they want to meet the corset maker, the real corset maker, uh, my coming of age memoir, uh, it's called Aftermath, Coming of Age on Three Continents. That will be released this fall. Uh, uh, so uh, you, you could check in on the real corset maker and that memoir. And in the meantime, I'm uh, working on another novel, um, challenging myself to write something that I find difficult to read and difficult to write, which is magical realism. Mm. Uh, so I have a magical realism novel in the works. Uh, well, you are anything but um, idle. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I thank you for taking time to join me today. Again, listeners, it's, the book is The Corset Maker. You can find it uh, in bookstores or by visiting shop.yiddishbookcenter.org where you can purchase a copy online or on site. And before I let you go, um, it would be remiss of me not to ask you to speak about your brother and the cover. Oh, yes. Uh, I I feel very fortunate. You know, my brother is an international architect of note. He is the architect of the Jewish Museum in Berlin and several other Jewish museums around the world. He's the master planner for rebuilding Ground Zero in New York, and he has buildings on, on every continent. So taking him away from the big projects and asking him uh, to do my cover was uh, sort of fraught. Uh, I didn't want him to say no, uh, but he was so excited about it uh, partly because it was for me, but partly because it honors his mother. Uh, so uh, I think he did an amazing job capturing the content of this in, in, in an abstract way, you know, only as Daniel Liebeskin can do. Uh, and and it's, it's a bit mysterious until you read the book. And I'll say one thing for readers who get the book and look at the cover, and there's an image on the on the lower right, if you can't figure out what it is, you probably will after you read the book. But if you haven't, write to me on my website, AnnetteBerkowitz.com, and I will give you further information about what that image stands for. And I should say one last thing. 
which is that there is a swastika on the cover. And some uh, Jewish readers have said to me, oh my God, how does a Jewish writer put a swastika on the cover? Well, my answer to that is, is uh, a, a couple of points about that. One is uh, that you need to understand the swastika in its context. This is uh, an anti-Nazi, anti-fascist book and readers will understand why it's there. It's something that Rivka Berg fought all her life, uh, but it's not Hitler's swastika. Hitler issued a specific decree what the swastika should look like. It should be on a red background in black uh, and in a white circle. And this is not what this is. It's a, it's a gray image, which really kind of uh, gets across Rivka's idea to erase it from the world. Well, thank you again, Annette, for your work, uh, for a wonderful book, and look forward to having you back on for your next book. I um, would be very happy to do so, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I shine them dunk. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.